Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor John Andrade is preaching from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and the message is called, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hope you are blessed by the message today. We're continuing in our study of the Sermon on the Mount today. Matthew chapter 5. And our passage, as it has been, is going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Please read along with me. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just give you praise today, and we come before you with joyful hearts. God, we come before you with um, thanksgiving and adoration. Lord, I pray that our attention would just be fixed on you, Lord, that you would minister to us in the innermost place in our hearts. God, I pray that you would remove our hands from sin. God, that you would remove our affections from sin and help us to overcome all of the things that try to steal our attention away from you. God, we have this moment where we are together, collectively, just eyes fixed intently on Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for you to minister to us. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. I pray that this word that we have before us today would heal us, God, that if we are caught in sin, that it would um, break us and bind us up, that there would be repentance, God, that there would be restoration, that we'd be reminded of your great grace and your love for your people. Lord, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for you. And I just pray that you would remind us of the desperation that we ought to have, Lord, we just are so dependent upon you. Bless each and every single one of us in this room, young or old, Lord, if we're, um, we've been coming to this church for a long time now or if we're new, Lord, may your spirit fall on every single one of us. Open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and, heart, and hearts to understand. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
As we're going through the Beatitudes, this is the one that we have for us today that we can call ours today. And I pray that this is a treasure for each and every one of us. And I pray that as Josh even prayed just a minute ago, that God would really deepen our hunger and our thirst for the things of God because the world is always clamoring for our attention. The world is always trying to beckon us to to the left or to the right, but I want us to have a deep hunger and a deep thirst for the things of Jesus Christ for righteousness sake. I just want us to all have that put before us today. Um, and so may the Lord answer and respond to us. Um, I want us to have a start in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. And I hope that this passage can kind of be a backdrop for us to set up everything that we'll talk about today. Um, and even for the remainder of the, the Beatitudes. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the word says this. For he rescued us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This passage here, I wanted to begin with it because it sets in contrast very succinctly in just a couple of verses, very succinctly, easily memorized and worthwhile doing so. These verses really teach us and set before us the juxtaposition between the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil, that there are very real forces opposed to the things of Jesus Christ. And the way that Jesus Christ does things is drastically different from the way things are done in Satan's kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, things are not just a mild, just a tweak on how the world does them and says, maybe just go this way slightly. It is drastically different the way that things are done in Jesus Christ's kingdom as opposed to how things are done in Satan's kingdom. And I think one of the ways that Satan can deceive us oftentimes is say there's just a mild difference. But the difference is as stark as darkness and light. And I wanted to begin with this because as we're going through these beatitudes, these beatitudes are really just the attitudes and the behaviors of people who are in Christ's kingdom. The attitudes and the behaviors of those who are in Christ's kingdom. And so with Colossians as the backdrop, I want it to be known that there is, apart from Jesus' kingdom, a very real and altogether indifferent kingdom with an entirely different king and an entirely different set of beatitudes that the world will put forth for us to chase after. Worldly attitudes and behaviors that the world constantly preaches to us go this way, follow this way. And then we have Jesus and the beatitudes from scripture calling us directly forward. And my hope and my desire really for everybody here today and my prayer this week has been that not a single person in this room will remain entangled in the domain of darkness. And not a single one of us. And this has been my fervent prayer, and I've been asking God to make it more and more fervent. But I pray that each and every single person here today would walk in power and strength and freedom in the kingdom of Jesus Christ and not be entangled in the kingdom of darkness. Now, as whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, if there's an unbeliever or there are unbelievers in this room, I pray that today you would recognize the difference between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I want you to run with all of your might to Jesus Christ and his kingdom 
into the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and receive forgiveness and grace and mercy because the kingdom of darkness is a path toward hell, a path toward judgment, and a path toward the wrath of God, and we want you to be free today. And so if you're an unbeliever in this place today, let it be known that there's a call going forward to you to respond to the call of Jesus Christ and to run to him. Now for believers, the call is quite similar Um, While many believers, we are here, we are in the kingdom of light, we've been transferred, we've been rescued out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, there still is a call to us to repent because we get our feet entangled in the domain of darkness from time to time, don't we? And we stumble in sin and sometimes we have seasons where we're caught in sin and I pray that you would be free of that today too. Um, And my heart longs, I'm not sure for which one the most because I know that there are so many Christians dear to me and I've had seasons in my life too where we are entangled in sin and we know Jesus Christ, I want to follow you but this sin besets me and I just pray that you're free of that today. I pray you're free of that today. Some of us, we know from experience, uh, we know from scripture but many of you in the room can just know because you can feel it that there is very real evil in the world. That there is a different way of doing things apart from Jesus Christ, that there is very real darkness and there is deception and there is wickedness and there is death and there is bondage in the world and you can feel it. I think some of you can feel it, that this is a very real part of our world. And some of you have even partaken in this so much that even though you're a Christian today and you've been rescued from this domain of darkness, you've walked so much in this in your life that you still have the scars to show from it. That as your walk before Christ was entrenched in so much darkness that you can still feel the scars of it even now. And yes, Jesus is healing you, and the Holy Spirit is making all things new, but you would quickly tell anybody who thinks, it's kind of cool to walk in the kingdom of darkness. It feels good to my flesh, and I see a lot of my friends doing it, and I speak to the teens even now. While adults, I could say the same thing, but you teens, if I could speak to you for a second, that you guys get entangled in this so much more because teens are always looking, man, what are the cool people doing? Sometimes the, the advertisements and the system of the world is geared directly at you because they know that you are the future, and they want to derail you as quick as possible saying, come this way. And so for those of us who have walked in the domain of darkness for so long with the scars to show from it, we would tell you so quickly, don't go that way. Don't go that way. And we don't tell you the testimonies that we have because it kind of just sounds cool. It's cool to say, I mean, I I came from this and I did that and I did that. And it kind of can sometimes sound like we're bragging. We're not bragging. We're selling because we don't want you to do and get entangled in any of the things that we got entangled in. So don't see it as a glory. The world glorifies sin. But Jesus Christ has something so much better. Something so much better. And we just pray that that's clear and present for us today. So these Beatitudes um, that Matt, Brother Matt had just read for us. I hope that today it's a stark difference between how the kingdom of the devil works and the kingdom of Jesus Christ operates. And it should be as stark and as drastic Difference and contrast between light, radiant light, and the darkest darkness. And I want that to be clear today. And as we as believers, we possess these beatitudes, and as we grow in them, and by the grace of God, we walk in them, and we grow in how we live these out, the more that we can be that city on a hill that is like a light shining in the darkness so that the world can say there's something different about them. 
The world does things this way, and they are set apart. There's a light there, and they may not recognize it at first, but there is something different. The more we possess these attributes and these qualities, the more that we can be that city on the hill. So I'm going to belabor this a little bit. I've been trying to just set the stage to say there's a difference between how Satan does things and how Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, does things in his kingdom. But I want to belabor this a little bit more, and I made a list to try to enunciate the difference between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so I made a list of what would be maybe Satan's beatitudes, the world's beatitudes, the things that the world constantly preaches and says, hey, have these attitudes and have these behaviors, and this is what the world preaches. And so I just want to kind of walk through some of these, and you can have this as a backdrop as we're working through Jesus Christ's beatitudes. You can recognize some of the difference because the world is, again, always preaching a very loud message to us. And so if you want to just look, I'll have some of them on the screen, I think, but some attitudes of people in Satan's kingdom. The world might preach to you, happy are the proud in spirit, for the world belongs to them. You ever hear this message preached to you? Don't be poor in spirit. Be proud in spirit. Be the one who goes and takes what you want. The one who can kind of walk in the room and everybody trembles at the power that you hold and possess. Sometimes you walk in and you just want everybody to just be like, man, that guy's the man. Or that woman, wow, look at her. She's... Not many people want to walk into the room like Christ tells us to walk into the room. And I say, I want Jesus to behold me as beautiful. I want Jesus to behold me as magnificent. I want to walk into this room poor in spirit. The world will not tell you that. The world says, be proud in your spirit. Another one, happy are those who celebrate sin. For the world looks up to them. You ever see people who are very brash in sin? There's not much of a conscience there. There's not a mourning of sin. It's, I can run ahead and do what maybe you're afraid to do and live on the edge and walk in sin and I can press ahead in that and I have no qualms or conscience about it. A lot of times, those are the ones that the world seems to lift up and glorify in movies, entertainment, music, all of these things. A celebration of sin. Happy are those who exert their power Again, in contrast to meekness, for many people will fear them. Another one, happy are those who hunger and thirst for the things of this world, even though they will never satisfy you. And we'll talk more about that. Happy are those who show no mercy, for the world's not going to show you any mercy either. And so you might as well show no mercy, get what you can, because nobody's going to show you a drop of mercy. So why should you? Another one. Happy are those who enjoy their desires because this life is all there is. So have as much fun as you can. Christians, we hear this message quite a bit too, don't we? Have as much fun as you can. Just, just do that thing because who knows if God's even really there with you, if he's even real. Or We hear this pecking at our faith constantly. This world is all there is. Have as much fun as you can. Be happy and get what you can right now. Another one, happy are those who make trouble. This is in contrast to being a peacemaker. Happy are those who make trouble because gossip and slander and winning the fight just feels really, really good. May we push against that. Happy are those who mock and insult and exclude and attack Christians because the Christians are always just the one getting in the way of all of our fun. 
Rejoice when you do these things because great is your reward in this earth and this life, again, is all there is. Some of you may resonate with these. I encourage you, if you go home, make your own list of beatitudes that the world has, things that you hear, messages continually proclaimed, but Jesus Christ sits on the mountaintop with his disciples and preaches an entirely different way of doing things in his kingdom. That we as Christians, we need to be different. The world is always preaching a message. And so, with that in mind... I want to just read through it, and I know that we have this already read to us, but I just want to have it with the backdrop of what the world is always proclaiming to us. I want us to just look at these Beatitudes one more time and just tremble at the word of God and say, all right, Lord Jesus, you're speaking speaking this word, and it applies to us today. I want to have these characteristics. I want to have this mindset. I want to have these attitudes. And so again, just look with me now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' ways are not the ways of this world. Amen? Amen? They're certainly not the ways of this world. The world absolutely will never tell you that it is good to yield my will to the will of God. The world will never tell you to turn from sin for the glory of God. The world will never tell you that it's good to forgive those who harm you. The world will never tell you it's good to be persecuted for the name of Jesus, and the world will certainly never tell you that this world is not all that there is. The world does not teach you this. And as Christians, it's like we are fish swimming upstream. Now, I had a cool example of this. I got to see this, and we all know kind of fish swimming upstream, but me and my family one time, we got to see this place in a stream where there were all these fish swimming upstream, and they're going up to this place because they got to, like, reproduce, and, and that's their reason. I don't know why they can't do it downstream, but they have to go upstream to do it. I'm not sure why, but we saw this one place where there's probably, like, 5,000 fish that have been swimming for miles upstream, and there's this one spot where there's just this bottleneck because they have to somehow not only swim upstream but up this rock, which has just a little bit of a trickle of water coming down, and they have to get up this rock so that they can get to another place where they can continue to go upstream. And so me and my kids and several other families, and we're just sitting there, and it was so awesome. The kids are just sitting there watching these fish just like a runway, try to get up, and some of them just didn't have the energy, and then they'd have to come back down and rest. They'd go to the back of the line, rest up, and another one would take its turn and go up. But they're just fighting so hard. Everything is going this way, but they're saying, I just got to get up and go over this rock. And again, we're thinking, why not just 
do what you got to do somewhere where it's a little bit easier. But they say they have their faces set toward where they need to go. And when one would make it up, all of us, like the kids especially, but I have to admit, I kind of was caught up in the moment too, just jumping up and down and like cheering for these little fish that might end up in a can that I'll eat, you know, in a couple weeks. But in this moment, this fish was like one of the most important things in the world to me. It's just like it's, it's pushing and it's going against everything that is facing it and it's saying I have to get up and I have to go. And in a lot of ways, I see this as an example for the Christian life. There's times when we're, I mean, we're always swimming upstream, but there's those times when it's just a little bit more difficult, right? It's just a little bit more difficult. We face it and we say, I maybe don't have, I don't feel like I have the strength for this right now, but my face is set toward the things of God and not toward the things of the world. And everything in the whole surrounding circumstances says, just let the water drift you down and you can go where everybody else is going. But we say, no, I, I, I'm called to something. And if these fish can do it, I pray that we as Christians, a hundredfold more so, can set our faces against the waters that are prevailing and constantly going this way and say, I'm going that way. I have decided to follow Jesus and there is absolutely no turning back for me. And so... As working these, I just wanted to be known immensely the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. It's, a, it, it's incredible, the magnitude of what Jesus is teaching. And I just wanted to strike us as I, as I think it should. And so again, the one that we're looking at today is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And my question for you is this. Do you notice within you and your Christian walk, and I'm sure we have seasons up and down, but in general, do you notice within you an ever-increasing desire for the things that God says over and above what the world says? Do you notice an ever-increasing desire within you where you say, I know that the world says that, and I maybe bought that lie in the past, but I'm not buying it again. I have my face set toward the Lord. And I'm going to believe what he says, and even if all of science collectively says the opposite, even if all of the world, pop culture, whatever it is, I say, if the Lord says it, to me, I'm just going to believe it. And I might have the faith of a little child, and you might say, "Ah, maybe if you just studied some more of this stuff, you'd actually come to a more knowledgeable and wise and worldly wisdom conclusion, where I can just say, can you just say, I believe the Lord? I just believe the Lord, and to me, it's as simple as that, and I'm sorry I don't have all of the the things mapped out, but I just believe the Lord and what he says, and when the devil starts tempting us, we say, I can't can't listen. My my eyes are fixed on the Lord. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, you know the verse that says, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. The whole entire world is saying, go this way, and God says, I'm I'm going with the Lord. I have my face set toward his ways, and I hunger and I thirst for the things that he says because he can satisfy. And there's a lie that the devil has been whispering, and it's been since the very beginning. And You start in the garden, since the garden when the serpent tempted Eve, and he says, you can't eat off of that. And all of the things that God has told you to eat from, they can't satisfy because here's one that he says you can't eat from can't trust the Lord. And you see this carried out to when Israel forsook God in making idols and exchanging the glory of the one true and living God for idols that they made with their hands. You see the same lie for Judas 
when he sold out Jesus and exchanged everlasting life, and he exchanged the glories of heaven, he exchanged the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 shekels of silver, which I'm sure were glistening in that moment, to even tempting Jesus. And obviously we know our Lord Jesus withstood temptation every single time, but he tempted Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this shiny stuff. All of it. Satan's lie essentially boils down to this. God can't satisfy you. Here, eat this garbage. Satan says, God can't satisfy you. Here, I've got some garbage for you. Eat it. Essentially what it boils down to, giving us things which will never, ever, ever satisfy us. And as we see this lie played out, we see it in our own lives as well, not only just in scripture. God help us, we see people abandoning their marriages, vows that they made before God, commitment to their spouse in exchange for somebody better. Satan. Feeding more lies. People abandoning generosity in exchange for greed. Saying generosity won't satisfy. Working through those difficult times in your marriage won't satisfy. Here's an easy way out. People, and I would say men, but I don't even think we need to put it into categories. Abandoning purity in exchange for pornography. Exchanging forgiveness instead for exchanging it for holding on desperately to grudges, gossip, slander. Exchanging boldly speaking about the name of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear about him and exchanging it for a fearful avoidance of ever mentioning his name. Exchanging being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, in exchange for getting high, getting drunk, these types of things which, in my shame, I admit most of my life spent chasing these things, things that never satisfied. Satan continually and constantly calling our sinful flesh to hunger and thirst for his garbage, which is unable to satisfy the longing of our souls. And then we have Jesus again saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He has what satisfies And so to bring this teaching before us and to just have it sink down before us, um, I want to examine the lives of two men in Scripture. And one is a positive figure that we're called to emulate, to imitate their faith and to follow after how they lived. And one is one that is not so uh, presented so well in Scripture that we should not follow. And I hope that this can kind of give us a more beautiful picture of what it means to hunger and thirst for the things of God far over and above the things of this world. And so the first is Moses. And many of you know about Moses and his life um, from Exodus and Deuteronomy. Um, If you're old school, maybe you know from Charleston Heston and 
the Ten Commandments back in the day. Youngsters, you have no idea. It's a little bit even old from my day, but I remember being real little. That was awesome. It's awesome. But we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. In chapter 11, and we're going to just look at a little synopsis of the life of Moses. And in Hebrews, in this chapter, chapter 11, we're taught that the life of a person who follows God is a life of faith. And in case you're wondering, man, is there something kind of weird happening here? I'm not seeing things. Everybody else used to see things. It has continually and always been the, the call of a believer to live by faith, to look to what is unseen as opposed to what is seen. And sometimes I think that we would say, man, if I could just see the things that they saw, they had faith in not what was seen, but what was unseen. And we're nothing strange. We're called to carry out the same faith that all of these people had from the very beginning, from the creation of all things, the things that are seen are made by those that are not seen. And continually, all through, Abel to Noah to Moses, all of these figures, they all are highlighted for their faith, faith in what is not seen. And part of the devil's tricks to us is to say, follow what is seen and not the unseen. But we're going to begin in verse 23, and we'll just read down to verse 27, a few short verses, but see what we can find from the life of Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now this man here, Moses, a wonderful figure and not a perfect man. No person that we're called to emulate in scripture is a perfect man apart from Jesus, but there are people that are lifted up before us and says, here's a person who walked by faith. And in case you're wondering, in case you're feeling like, man, there is a temptation that is overtaking me, that if if other people in the Bible knew what I was going through, they would probably suffer under this as well, and they'd probably get overtaken by it. But the call is to continually look to what is unseen, looking to what is unseen, fixing our eyes, as the writer of Hebrews continues to say, on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we look to him, not to the things of this world. Now, Moses was a man who had opportunity and access to all of the things that could bring pleasure to his flesh, probably more so than anybody that you or I know personally. And we have it very well in the United States and access to a lot of things. But Moses, as a man who grew up in Pharaoh's household, had access to all of the stuff that could kind of really bring pleasure to a sinful flesh. But Moses, what did he do? Verse 25, it says, he chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, we would be a fool to say that sin does not have at least some short-term satisfaction, some short-term gratification. 
It's not that sin doesn't feel good. The tempting part about it is that it does feel good for a short period of time. But then it leaves you wanting more. It does not fully satisfy you to the point where you're built up with contentment. But instead, it leaves you wanting more. But there is a passing pleasure of sin, a passing pleasure of sin that Moses rejected. He says, I do not have my eyes fixed on the passing pleasures of sin. But instead, what did he have his eyes fixed on? says in verse 26, he looked to the reward. And verse 27, he is seeing him who is unseen. And so I just want to ask you that. Do you see him who is unseen? And I know that sometimes there's different seasons where maybe Jesus is a little bit more vague before our eyes. But do you have eyes that are just saying, I, 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 I want to look to you, Jesus. And I want to see you, and though what's your unseen, in my eyes of faith, I just want to behold you and the things of the world constantly being heaped before my eyes, but I have a hunger and a thirst for you, Lord Jesus. God, would you help us to have that? Rather than having eyes that are hungry and thirsty for the passing pleasures of sin, may we be a people that look to the reward like Moses does or did. And I like here even not fearing the wrath of the king he endured. It says in verse 25, he chose to suffer ill treatment with the people of God. Sometimes sin comes in all different forms, but sometimes it can even come under a tyrannical rule. That in our obedience to Jesus Christ could even cause us to be at odds with those who are in authority. But that, even that, should never sway the man or the woman of God because Moses here, in this beautiful set of words, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Would you rather suffer with Jesus or receive the whole entire world and Forsake him. And I just pray more and more that we have this mindset in us, that we would look to the reward and that we'd set our eyes on Jesus with this Moses-like mentality. Now, for those of you who maybe have a few things that are brought up as you're here in the sermon, and I do as well as I'm preparing the sermon. I am not here as somebody who is immune from conviction, and thank God that I'm not. Thank God that there is conviction among the people of God because God, working in his people, the Holy Spirit says, you gotta work on this, John. You gotta work on this, John. And so if there is something, that conviction that is brought up in you, I pray that you sit under it. But the question I have for you is what are you gonna do now with the conviction? Will it lead to a godly sorrow that just makes you shrivel up into depression and curl up on your bed and hide under the blankets? Or is this something that says, I'm going to work on this? I would encourage you today to kill the sin. Kill the sin. Don't play with it. Don't put it under your foot and let it squirm around and say, I got this kind of under control. And every now and then it just reaches up and bites me. Kill it. Kill this sin today. And don't do it alone. Do it with the help of fellow believers around you. Look around this room today and know that you're not alone 
in your walk with Christ and as we battle, as we fight, as we wrestle against the flesh, don't do it alone. Have a brother or a sister, someone who can hold you accountable, someone who you can pour out your griefs to, your struggles with. And then run to Jesus. The glory of the gospel is that the Father's arms are open wide because of what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting under conviction today, I, I think that's the most wonderful thing in the world, if you're convicted of sin today. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Because what would make that just a little bit better and actually makes all the difference is, will you run to Jesus the one who was pierced for our transgressions, the one who was bruised for our iniquities, the one who bore our sin on the cross is the one that we can run to because in our sin, he has taken it all upon himself, the perfect and spotless and blameless eternal son of God on the cross, guiltless, but suffering as though he were the guilty one that committed every single one of my sins. Would you run to Jesus with your conviction and don't let the enemy, because sometimes the enemy, I don't know how things work in the spiritual realm, but something slips through. He's like, oh man, they got convicted there. But I still could probably stop them from running to Jesus and let's just cloud them with guilt and shame. I want you to know that the Father's arms are open wide as we sin, as we stumble, as we struggle. We have an advocate, as the word of God says, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I pray that each and every one of us knows that fully and wholly and completely today. That any conviction you feel, there is a place to go with that conviction. And so the devil is had us hungering and thirsting for evil for far too long, and I pray that we hunger and thirst for the things which please our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just do a little Greek here, but it is interesting that Jesus uses some very basic and kind of instinctual ways to get it, convey his point. Hunger and thirst. Have you guys ever been hungry, been thirsty, hungry right now? You're like, John, just wrap it up. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I want to refill my coffee. Um, you know, but Jesus, no, everybody has experienced some hunger. Everybody's experienced some thirst. And he uses that, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Everybody's been hungry. Everybody's been thirsty. This is something that we all can relate with, hunger and thirst. And so the Greek word here for hunger is just pinao. Um, I don't know Greek, but I have a concordance, so it's like I do. Um, <laughs> pinao, hunger. And this has a little bit of a range of meaning just from regular hunger to extreme hunger, but there is one place that I just want to show you where the same Greek word, pinao, is used for hunger. And this is when Jesus comes out of the wilderness after having fasted for 40 days. And this always struck me as interesting. It says, after Jesus fasted 40 days, he was hungry. I'm like, I'm hungry if I miss one meal. Of course he's hungry. He's just fasted 40 days. He's hungry. But the same word, pinao, is there. He's hungry. And I imagine this isn't just like, man, all right, I'm just a little bit hungry. It's been 25 minutes since I've ate. I'm a little hungry right now. It's 40 days of not consuming food, and Jesus is hungry. He is pinao. And Jesus says, that word, that hunger, is how you ought to be for righteousness. Would you hunger for it? Does it cause hunger pains in you? I am hungry for righteousness, for the things of the Lord. Do you hunger for righteousness? The word thirst is dipsao. 
dipsao. And another place that this is used is when Jesus is on the cross in John chapter 19 and verse 28, when Jesus, having been beaten, kicked, whipped, spit upon, mocked, beaten beyond recognition, pierced, and now he is on the cross. And what does Jesus say? I thirst. He says, I thirst. And we could preach a whole sermon on that. That's how we'll refrain. But imagine the thirst of one being on the cross under the scorching sun. All of your bodily liquids just like pouring out of you, blood dripping. And you just are thirsty. Our Lord Jesus Christ enduring that. But he says, I dipsao. I thirst. And again, that's the same exact word that's used here in Matthew chapter 5 or 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of the psalmists says, like a deer pants for water. May we be that thirsty for the Lord, whereas I'm a deer panting for water. I'm thirsty. One more Greek word, righteousness. Dikaio sune. Dikaio sune. Righteousness. Do we hunger and thirst for this? And I just want to just quickly uh, cite a resource that a lot of pastors who don't know Greek use, um, Thayer's Lexicon. And it gives this for a definition of righteousness, which is integrity, virtue, purity of life, uprightness, correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. We have a hunger and thirst for that. When the world is constantly pushing against us, do we have a hunger and thirst that will say, I'm going to pursue righteousness? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, encapsulate this very well as well. It says, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith and love with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Pursue righteousness. Flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. So I'd like to briefly look at one other person from Scripture. Um, And we looked at Moses. And I do want to set this one up a little bit because as I have been pushing quite a bit for holiness and holy living and setting our eyes on Jesus, there is a pitfall that can come with that that I want us to avoid as well. And there is certainly an enormous ditch on this side of the road, if you will, that I want to set a guardrail up that a person says, I'm saved by grace and, you know, I can just do what I want, follow the devil all I want and I'm good. An enormous ditch there that I'm trying to steer everybody away from and say, fix your eyes on Christ, hunger and thirst for righteousness, strive along the narrow path, carry your cross. Yes, it's going to be difficult at times, but the reward is the glory of Christ and I want to fix my eyes on him. There's a ditch there that I want us to avoid, but on the other side, we need to be hemmed in as well by the Lord, which sometimes a person can be like, I've been living so you know, pretty holy for a while that I look around at you guys and, mm, yeah, I wish you guys were more like me. Self-righteousness. And maybe sometimes some of you have experienced that in some churches in the past, God forbid, maybe even here, or you've experienced somebody who's just like, yeah, amen to everything John was saying. We got to run the race and go and go and go and be really, really good can be kind of the mindset that will be a ditch on this side that will say it's all dependent upon you. All of it, your entire walk with Christ, your salvation is works based. 
That's the foundation of everything that you are. You can earn your salvation and you can certainly try to do a lot better than all the rest of the people in the room. And I want us to be guarded from that as well. And so that's why I had this other person as um, an example from scripture of somebody who did not follow. And so I want us to look at Luke chapter 18 and verses nine through 14. And I know we looked at this a couple of weeks ago and so hopefully this is familiar when Joel preached. But the highlight for that was the other man the man who we should emulate. And I want to just highlight the man who we are called to not emulate. I look right here in chapter 18 of Luke, starting in verse 9, and he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were what? Righteous. Trust in yourself that you are righteous. Do good, be awesome, do all of the stuff, and you're righteous on your own. Your righteousness comes from yourself, self righteousness and viewed others with contempt which is the corresponding mentality with anybody who is self-righteous they will begin viewing others with contempt and Jesus told this parable and he says two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector the Pharisee stood and was praying this interestingly to himself God I thank you that I am not like other people listen to all the positive attributes things that are good Qualities of this man. I'm not a swindler, unjust, adulterer, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Good qualities. Something that a person should and ought to strive for, but this man completely missed the mark. Became self-righteous. Believing and thinking that his own righteousness is something that now he is able to present to God. And while I'm saying thank you, I kind of just mean you're welcome. You're welcome that I'm not like all of the other people. Because look how well I do things, God. But praying to himself. But look at the beautiful glory of the grace of God found in the gospel that it is the humble who receive mercy, says in verse 13, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And he says, I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so I just want, if you are here and you're saying, I, I have been struggling, I have been battling sin, and I have been wrestling with these types of things, I just want you to know that you can cry out to the Lord, and the beauty of the gospel is that you will go home justified, Amen. as though you've never sinned, as though the righteousness of God that you have not walked in as though you have walked in it. God blesses his people because again, what Jesus Christ did was not only forgave our iniquity by bearing our sins on the cross, but he also gave us something, gave us righteousness. And that is a righteousness that satisfies. And I want to just close with a couple quick, scripture, quick scriptures. Um, Isaiah chapter 61 
And I just want to look at verse 10. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10, he says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of what? Righteousness. Sins forgiven, but a robe of righteousness placed on us. Is the picture that scripture gives. And God clothing us with something that will actually satisfy, with something that will actually last, with something that will actually fulfill the deepest part of our souls and will not leave us longing for more. Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you drink from that water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink from the water that I have, you will never thirst again be like living water bubbling forth from your innermost being. There's a satisfaction that occurs while drinking and feeding from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so I just want to look at one more passage, and then we can kind of close up, is John chapter 6. We'll just look at verses 35 through 40, and I want to read up to 40, but really the emphasis will be seen in verses 35 and 36. Um, John chapter 6 verse 35 Jesus said to them I am the bread of life he who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. There's so much comfort in that, and I just want to just say a couple of things before I get to the main part in verse 35. He will never cast you out. The world will offer you things, but eventually, if you don't meet the criteria and the standards, there's a casting out, a rejection. But Jesus is one who will never, ever, ever cast out. The word says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He doesn't cast out his own, and that's a comfort. And so I just pray that if you're here today and you're feeling outcast from the Lord and you've come to him, hear his words, not the words of the world. He will never cast us out. And also he will lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. That we're safe and secure in the hands of our God. And he is the one holding us, ever closely holding us fast. And I just pray that we know that. But ultimately, just verse 35, I just want us to to focus on as we close. I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. There's that satisfaction. And I pray that as you are reminded of Jesus today, that satisfaction, if the world has had any 
hooks that it's placed into you, anything that has grabbed you by the foot and you say, oh, maybe I should eat that garbage because the Lord can't satisfy. I pray that you'd be reminded in this season that we all suffer with that. We all struggle with that. We all hear that same lie and that same temptation and you're not alone in it. That this is common. However, God's people always by faith looking to what is unseen look for a satisfaction that this world cannot provide and so I pray that you would do that today. Just be reminded. And again, just to the, if there's anybody here who does not know the Lord, who has not yet confessed him, feel the weight of what it means to walk apart from Christ in pursuing that which does not satisfy. And think of the eternal satisfaction, the forgiveness of sins, the everlasting life, the reconciliation between you and the God who created you that Jesus Christ affords and brings to us so that you could be satisfied today. And I just ask why not? That you cry out to the Lord and repent of sins and turn to him and trust in the one who gave his life to save us and rose from the dead. Call out to the Lord and grab a brother or sister to pray with. Um, Let me just pray with us. God, we, um, we look to you And we just thank you for your word. But I pray that we would always tremble at it, that it would um, strike us with a fear um, of your holy reverence and power. But also, Lord, that that word would, the same word would bind us up immediately. God, that we would have a, uh, a deep and sincere devotion to you, Lord. But also at the same time, remember that even on our best day, the day when we've done the most good and avoided the most evil, we are still utterly dependent upon your grace, utterly dependent upon your righteousness because, Lord, you're perfect and nothing else can satisfy the wrath of God apart from this perfect, wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for satisfying not only us, but also the Father's wrath in taking upon yourself the guilt of my sin, the judgment that I deserved, so that now my sin is forgiven, O Lord, and you have truly become the satisfaction of our souls. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Help us to walk in holiness, but also, Lord, may we never, ever become so self-righteous that we forget the need, the desperate need of the grace that you give to us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we worship you. By your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.